We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's get down here, Sean. We have one from, uh, this is one of my uh, other favorite names, from ND Estimate Trucking LLC. <laughs> so this is kind of re- related to what, the Sean, you were saying earlier. And I'll read it because actually I, I would like for you to answer it since you brought these guys up earlier. In your opinion, who could potentially break out first over the next few years, Tyson Ford or Devin Houston? Hmm. I'm going to hinge that bet on who I've seen. I've seen Tyson Ford. I know he physically has the talent. So I'll say Tyson Ford, but I really believe in Devin Houston. He just seems just talking to him, or not talking to him, hearing him talk. To me, he comes across as a confident kid that knows he's going to be good. Like he just, Mm -hmm. he comes across as that type of kid. And it's not in a braggadocious way. It's in a very, he's very personable smiles, you know, can answer and laugh with the media. But at the same time, you just feel like he's going to be that Christian Wilkins type mm-hmm. for Notre Dame, the same way Christian Wilkins was that jokey joke type of personality for Clemson. But he was a stud when he played. I see Devin Houston being that in the long run. You know, but Tyson might pop first just because, like I said, Devin's been injured. You know, fall camp will be the first time he'll have an opportunity to really get out there. So Tyson might pop sometime this season. I hope so. Man, I hope so. This mm-hmm. team would be a lot better if Tyson Ford is able to to break out a little bit this year. There's Do you no think Malik mentioned this? Playing four years primarily on the outside in high school and then being asked to go inside. How much of a transition is that even though because if you does it change the way you play? Like if you're used to being in space on the outside and then they ask you, okay, now you have to go inside and learn how to play in space, learn technique, leverage. Can that set someone back a little bit before they go ahead and make the progress they need to make? It depends on what kind of outside you are playing. Tyson played kind of a five technique, four I five technique. So he played a little bit more big boy football than like a guy that's a hand, you know, two, two point stance, 
mm-hmm. pure wide edge rusher. I, I think for Tyson, it has a lot more to do with Sean. He was just so much bigger and stronger and more athletic than everybody else that he just never needed to, to know how to play the game fundamentally. And he's got a lot of Deion Colsey in him in that he just was so much better than everybody played against. And he just doesn't understand quite what it takes yet to be great. Mm-hmm. And when that light goes on, he will be just fine. He'll be just fine. And, and understand that, hey, it's not just about showing up on game day and playing. It's about the preparation that you put in physically and mentally going into that, which a lot of young guys need to deal yep. with. Yep. And I think those are all learning experiences for Tyson up to at this point in time. And then there is the the adjustment because things hit quicker on the inside, Sean. I mean, they do. Right. Things yeah. hit quicker on the, on the inside. And, you know, getting ear by a tackle is a different animal than getting ear by a receiver or tight end, you know, and that just takes some getting used to. Yeah. Takes some getting used to. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We have a chat here uh, from uh, from uh, Jacob Steely. Just wanted to say thank you, Brian, and great offensive tidbits on the member board. Can't wait for tomorrow's practice and to hear what you see. Man, you and me both, man. I man. think Brian, no one's more excited than Brian. This is Brian's for first full practice. In years. In years. In so years. My boy's going to be amped. Yes. He's going to be amped. Yes. Like, there's no cheering up there. I'm not cheering for you. I'm just <laughs> glad to be here. Um, just glad to be here, guys. Oh yeah. So um yeah, I'm looking forward to it very, very yeah. much. We got another big super chat from David Carpenter. David, thank you very, very much. I appreciate your even handedness through this off season. You have walked me, us, back from the edge several times. Question with that you know now, with what you know now, what are your top two concerns for Notre Dame going undefeated in 2023? Have they shifted? That's an interesting as, question. As, have they shifted based upon intel we've gotten from the spring? As far as I think he's saying, like, hit, hit. yeah, I mean, I think with what's happened with the coaching changes, and I think he's kind of looking at to the entire the the entirety of the of the off season. Yeah, you know, with Tommy leaving, Jared Parker getting hired, the 
you know, the, the whole Andy Ludwig thing and just that whole thing. Of what I know, the top two concerns of Notre Dame going undefeated are two is twofold. One is it's a really hard schedule. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to beat Ohio State, USC, and Clemson in the same year for anybody, much less, you know, a team that hasn't proven that they can do that in a very, very long time. That's the biggest concern if we're just talking going undefeated. I don't think Notre Dame has to go undefeated to be a playoff team, most likely, unless there's like four conference champs that are undefeated, Sean. I, an 11-1 and Notre Dame with, let's say, home wins over Notre, over USC and Ohio State and a you know lose by a field goal road loss to Clemson, right, is a playoff team and should be a playoff team, in my opinion. So I think the schedule is number one. And then number two is uncertainty of I am very I am I, I'm curious to your thoughts Sean but I'm cautiously optimistic about what Al what, about what Jared Parker is going to do the thing for me is I, I still feel I still feel like offensively they don't need to scheme their way into success as much as they have in the past because their talent is just so good defensively I my concern is what are we going to see from Al Golden? Because I don't have that. I don't know an answer to because we have, it's like I was talking to Jaden Mickey's dad or kind of tweeting back and forth with him today. And he was making a comment and it was a fair comment about, man, you know, all everybody, all everybody's talking about right now is the offense. I'm like, well, we haven't really seen anything from the defense. They just kind of go through individual in practice, which is fine. I mean, that's great for the team, but it's bad right. for us and what we can see. So Normally, hey, this scholarship linebacker at Notre Dame looked really good going through bags. Well, he should. He's a scholarship linebacker at Notre Dame. He <laughs> should look good, you know, going through bags and things right. like that. You know, hey, Benjamin Morrison looks really good on his backpedal drill. Like, okay, he should. He's a scholarship athlete at Notre Dame, and for, you know, that kind of thing. So um, it's just more of not seeing it. And so we have not seen team periods and seven-on-seven seven periods and things like that from the defense. I don't know if the linebackers are making fewer mistakes in practice right now than they did a year ago. So it's just the unknown of of what is going are going to be the changes on defense. I'll say this for the first time all offseason, it's just words, and this is why I'm looking forward to Saturday, Sean. Another reason I'm looking forward to Saturday Saturday is the things that Al Golden had to say in his press conference this week struck a lot of chords for me. And if he's serious about that, this team's going to be really good because if he's serious about because it's exactly he what he said was basically his way of saying what we said last week and the last month which is it's not here's where the players are. Now Golden's got to go all the way over there and meet them. And it, it also shouldn't be here's where Al Golden is up. The players come all the way up here and meet them. They got to find that sweet spot somewhere in the middle that says we need to have enough complexity to go out and beat Ohio State and beat USC and beat these teams week after week. But it also can't be so complex that the guys struggle to play full speed and, and, and play assignment sound. There's a sweet spot somewhere in the middle, and it's up to Al Golden to find it. And it sounds like he understands that based on the comments he made this week. So that was probably the most encouraging. I don't put a lot in the press conference of Sean. I don't. But that was the one thing I said, oh, okay, hold on a second. That sounds promising. Mm-hmm. And if he's serious about that, then I'm that then then one of my two concerns is is lessened quite a bit. And, and this is the challenge for him, in my opinion. See, Ryan Day, Ryan Day, for lack of a better term. Um, would shoot himself in the foot, or what we used to call it a basketball court. That's sex. That's self check. We only have to stick him. That's self check, right? Because Ryan Day would throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball against coverage for like three and a half quarters, 
without a clue that the running game even exists. Like, <laughs> so he helps you out as a coordinator. Lincoln Riley, on the other hand, he will he'll go run crazy and just take advantage of what you're doing to try and stop the pass. So that for me, the end game is going to be. I, I fully expect Notre Dame to be prepared for any opponent defensively. A great game plan. What yeah. are the adjustments going to be in game? That's what I want to see from Al Golden, how quickly he adjusts and how quickly his players can take the adjustments. I go to the Gator Bowl. I think they struggled trying to line up and get calls and all of that stuff. But once they finally got that locked down, the defense for the most part, Played darn good, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Played darn well. So, uh, for me, I don't know if it's top. Yes, defensive line is no longer as concerning to me as it was. And, and two things happened within the last week. The first thing that happened is I sat there and watched the pro day. And I said, if that's the talent Notre Dame has to replace on a defensive line, if they can't replace that athleticism, then something's wrong. Then we got a bigger problem. That made me feel better about what they had coming back and getting the youth to emerge on the defensive line because I know the youth that they have are more athletic. Can they be more productive? They have to show that. But I know right. for sure that they're more athletic than what they lost. And then secondly, I just really believe that – what we're hearing is what we felt like was coming. We, with our own eyes, myself and Ryan pointed out Josh Burnham and Jason Ongay last year. We said, okay, we can see these get these two guys being difference makers in the future. And now we're starting to hear more and more about Jason Ongay, Nolan Ziegler, Josh Burnham, Aiden Gabira, who I think was mentioned personally by um, – Al Golden. So I feel good and much better about the defensive line, which was a major question for me. You know, immediately after the bowl game, I'm thinking like, man, what's the defensive line going to be like? Mm-hmm. Now, in concert with the linebackers, I think the defensive line is going to be well. I think the linebackers are going to be more athletic. And I think the rushing game defensively, they're going to shut things down a whole lot better against the run than they did last year. Yeah. Those are really my major concerns as far as going undefeated. So I feel a little bit better about those on today than I did, say, on January the 2nd. You got a super chat from Tyler Evans. Is there a coach this year that has a make-or-break year, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, the 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 two the two top defensive staff coaches, Al Washington and Al Golden, yeah. are, are there for me. That's on and off the field, right? Yeah. That's and recruiting wise, and again, yeah. positive steps, right? Happy about yeah. the positive steps, yeah. but they both have a lot to prove to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, offensively, I don't know if anybody on offense is in a make or break. I mean, because two of your coaches are new, Jared Parker's in a new position. I don't think one year is is going to define you. I think Chancey Stuckey's done a good job. I, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think Tommy Reese would have been in there if he'd have come back. He would have mm-hmm. been in a make or break year. Like all the talent we're talking about now would have still been there. It's like okay. He he's done a really good job building the talent to this point. Now let's see if he can coach it, right? I think that would have been a big question mark coming into the season. I, I do think opinion. there's a coach on the offensive staff where 
there are no excuses. No excuses, sure. Yeah, you talking about the o, the O line coach? No. OC. Why wide receiver? For oh me. yeah. Like, there are no more excuses. Yeah. yeah. Like with the quarterbacks you have and the offensive right. line. But and, I thought Chancey did a really good job last year. Oh, you know, we opinion. know yeah. we know for a yeah. fact that he did an incredible job. But like right. right now, the way everything is setting up, this wide receiver room should produce prop they should come close to having one of the top five most productive seasons from the wide receiver group at Notre Dame, in mm-hmm. my opinion, this year. Collectively. I'm not just talking about somebody just breaking out and having like an all-American season, which is possible. But collectively, you should have two guys over, is it too much to ask for two of your receivers to be over 40 receptions? Oh, God, I mean, it should be I'm more like three. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, if you're going to lower the bar like 40, I mean, it's like four, 40 catches for 600 yards, 700 yards. Yeah, you should at least have at least have two guys like that. Yeah. At least have two guys like mm-hmm. that. No question. And, and and at the end of the day, stats are fine. It's it's to me, it's more about are they making big plays? If Jaden Thomas has two catches for 25 yards, but they happen to both come on the last drive. Perfect example, Avery Davis. Avery didn't do a whole lot in the first three and three quarters of the game against Clemson in 2020. He made two <laughs> huge plays on the last drive of the game. Last drive, yeah. So that, that's what I care about. Yeah. You know, um, because we all remember the post route, but what a lot of people forget is he also he caught touchdown. the touchdown yeah. and did a great job. He was working outside, saw that it was covered, down. and he stopped. And Ian mm. did a great job finding him and hitting him in that in that in that spot. It was one of the best throws that Ian ever made. That was actually a bigger throw than the post because the post is wide open. It's just, dude, don't screw it up. Mm-hmm. The touchdown pass was the the bigger play because it was off script and he had to really fire that sucker into a little bit of a tight window. Uh, and you know, so he kept on when it mattered. So I don't really care if a guy has six catches for 100 yards, but then yeah. in the fourth quarter and the game's in the line, you don't make the play. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's what I care a whole lot more about. Yeah. Cause you could have a kid with what, 30 catches, but 10 touchdowns. Right. That's sure. That's productive. Or right? like Dion last year. I mean, Dion didn't catch a lot of balls, but like everyone seemed like a big catch. Now, yeah. You know, so yeah. you, you want to see stuff like that. You know, Tobias yeah. only makes one catch, but it's like, okay, but that one catch gave you a, <laughs> a, a 14, 13, fourth quarter lead and went for a touchdown, yeah. right? Right. It, it's the the money catches are every bit. Of, and that's what made Will Fuller so good. We all remember his speed and all that. And that's what we were, you know, we remember him out running Virginia and Malik throwing that absolute bomb and, Kaiser throwing bombs to him against USC and Stanford, but it was, it, it was the you know the game winner against Virginia, the game yeah. winner against two, uh, Temple. He made the money plays too when he yeah. needed to make those plays, and that's yeah. something that that separated Will Fuller, in my opinion, from from a lot of guys. Was you know Golden Tate made a ton of plays, but he wasn't in he wasn't always the guy that would step up when the game was on the line, partly because. You know, they had other good receivers in the team, but also yeah. their, their team was bad and blah, 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 blah. But when when Will Fuller needed to make a play, I mean, the game was on the line. Even though the other team knew the ball was coming to him, it didn't matter. He was going to make matter. Play. Yeah. And and that's what I loved about Will Fuller that we don't talk enough about. And that's what I loved. Like, I love money players, Sean. That's what I love about Khalid Kareem, man. Like, he may only have, like, five sacks, but, like, three of them are going to be, like, Third down, fourth quarter, team's got the ball with a chance yeah. to win it or tie it. Khalid steps up and makes a play. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, I I, I don't know what Khalid's going to do the first three and a half quarters, but I do know this. If the game's close in the fourth quarter and somebody needs to step up and make a play on defense, he's going to do it. That right there is my second biggest question on this defense this year. They didn't have that last year. 
in the fourth quarter. The defense is not why they lost to Stanford. The defense is not why they lost to Marshall for the entirety of the game. Right. Having said that, you had a 19 to 14 lead in the fourth quarter. Excuse me. You had a um, was it you had I can't remember what the score was, but you had 14 12, I think is what it was. Mm-hmm. You had a lead against Marshall in the fourth quarter. You had a chance to stop them and give your offense the ball with position to, to put them the game back away. up on their own goal. Line. Correct. Third and something at like their own nine. And mm-hmm. you couldn't make a stop. Nobody stepped up and make a stop. Yeah. Yes, the defense, the offense played like trash against Stanford, but they gave you a lead in the fourth quarter and you let them go right back down the field and, and kick a field goal to go back up. Who's going to be that, okay, I'm stepping up to make a stop this year. Nobody emerged last year in the front seven. Now, Benjamin would do that in the pass game. Yeah. Right? But you can avoid him. Right? I feel like who's who's going to be the front seven guy? Who's going to be the safety that we steps up J- and makes those plays? We know J.D. made that play. They just reversed it. Against yeah, but but that was I get that the the fumble. Yeah, yeah. But that was on Notre Dame in Notre Dame territory. Right. You talking about before that? Like, yeah, yeah. Yes. No. 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 <clears throat> what I mean is on that drive. Yes, yeah. that was a bad call. Yeah. But that was in Stanford territory. That was with them still on their side of the field. Right. There was a lot more plays after that. Right. Where you had chances to go down and and make a stop make and they plays. couldn't do it. Yeah. Right. That's so. Yes, it's fair to say that. But you, it wasn't like that was on the touchdown play or something like that, right? Yeah. It was there were several plays. You still had chances several plays after that to make stop, and you couldn't make stop. I think it's and, fair to throw JD's name out there. He should be able to make those plays. Correct. They all need year. to be able to do those things more. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Who's going to step up and be that guy? Yeah. Jalen was that guy for Notre Dame mm-hmm. in 2015. Sheldon Day was that guy in 2015. The defense would stink the whole game, but when they needed a stop, Jalen would step up and make a play, or Sheldon would step up and make a play. Kavari would step up and make a play. And that's not a coaching thing. That's a player thing, right? Because they did that with Van Gorder as the D.C., and and Al Golden is a way better coach than Brian Van Gorder was, right? So you can't blame the coach for everything that goes wrong. At some point in time, you got to say, hey, this is on me. This is on us. Yeah, We're going to go out there and make this play. Everybody do your job and kick the guy across from his butt. And why didn't they make that stop against Marshall? Dudes didn't do their job. They didn't yeah. cover the flat route. They didn't see the tight end yeah. or fullback coming across on the flat route. Didn't do their job. If they'd have done their job, I have no doubt that Maris would have made that play. Yeah. But he didn't do his job. Yeah. And that's going to be the key. That's a big, big key, in my opinion, for them. We have another super chat down here, Sean, from Kevin Horton. Hey, Kevin Horton, will they go six deep at linebacker on game day? What's your way too early six? Will Junior be moved back? Will C. Lou be moved to safety? Will the press ask these questions? It's a lot of questions. Well, will the press ask these questions? <laughs> I, I, what you? We already know the answer, right? I mean, if, right. if they're going to move him, they're going to say they're going to move him. If they're not, if if they haven't already decided to move him, I could ask them whatever you want me to ask them, but they're not going to answer it. No. So do I? Do I ask the question that I know they're not going to answer? Or do I try to find something more productive to ask? Right. Uh, so I, I don't know the answer to that. As far as will they go six deep on game day, it depends on if six guys force them, them into saying they're going to do that. Now, the thing that I'll say is it's a lot easier to go six on game day now than it used to be when you were in your base defense 85, 90% of the time. Because now you could have, let's say your starting linebackers for argument's sake are the same three veterans from last year, Jack Kaiser, J.D. Bertrand, Marisol, but just for argument's sake. And then you're going to rotate in one or two guys into that rotation. Let's say two. Let's say Prince is going to be part of that. Let's say Jalen Sneed. 
then you can say, okay, in our nickel package, we're going to design this role for Nolan Ziegler to have this nickel role like Jack Lamb had in 2019 and like then Bo Bauer had after that. Let's just say we're going to do that. What's well, six linebackers playing? But it's not necessarily six playing in the base defense. You know, it may be four guys playing in the base defense and then two guys are part of your nickel package. So I think that the fact that you have packages now can allow you to play more linebackers in your defensive rotation and not just give the cop out of well, a lot of them played on special teams, right? Yeah. But I think it's a lot easier to do that now. Will they get to six this year? I, I still think a lot of guys, Jalen Steen needs to prove he can be more consistent, right? Yeah. Uh, Prince Collie needs to prove he can stay healthy and and is locked in. You know, Nolan Ziegler needs to prove that he can be assignment correct. I mean, there's all guys, you know, Drake Bowen and Jaden Osborne got to prove that they have picked up the defense enough to be ready to play and, and all that. I mean, so those guys got to all prove themselves to a degree. If they do, I think it'll be easy to get to six linebackers, especially with when you if if you're willing to include the 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 sub packages as part of that, then absolutely I think you're you're able to do that. And then six deep is I think Notre Dame is six deep in linebacker, talent wise. It's, it's, it's up to the yeah, it's up to the coaches, man. Like how they use guys, where they want to use guys. But I think Junior right now has kind of solidified himself uh, on the outside. And they, yeah. I, man, from what I've watched, they've liked the way he set the edge, particularly right. against the run. And he's kind of growing into that position. Junior down the line, man, you give him one full season, next season, he might be really good. I'd like to that. see him maybe play some big end. Yeah. He might, end up, he might be the perfect replacement for Nana. Was Nana moves alone? I still think Junior should be playing Mike. I do. They don't think that. So he was—he was probably the most instinctive Mike. Yeah, last spring. Last spring. Yeah, I so, still don't understand that one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, here we go. Here we got another super chat here from Nathan Milton. And my previous question related to Jack Swarbrick: Which one? Jack is head coach. BK is OC and triple option. Or BVG would be the hardest to take. Oh, I mean, it. Brandon Gordon being back is easy. I mean, literally, would be terrible. You mean you wouldn't want everybody being able to audible on the defense? Oh my god! These <sighs> guys are trying to give me like BT, PTSD today, man. You guys are killing me. Like, what did I do to deserve such horrible treatment from you, Nathan? What What did I do? To make why do you hate me, man? That's what I gotta know, Nathan. Is what did I do to you to make you do this to me today on a Friday, man? I just don't wow. understand. I thought we were boys. I thought we were boys. Oh, you're, you're getting me, man. Uh, here, Sean, let's get back up here. We got one from John A1. Between now and fall camp, is it typical for true freshmen to make a big jump before the season starts? Some, yes. If if they're gonna make a jump, Sean, that's when you see a big jump happen is sort of in those summer workouts, whether they played in the spring or not. I mean, Benjamin Morrison wasn't in the spring last year, and the summer workouts were invaluable for him. Yeah. Because there's less – it's more technical work. It's more teaching. It's more – it's less stressful. You know, practice – got, I got two hours to get this work in. You know, where you're out there summers working with your teammates, and, and they're talking you through things, and you're asking yeah. questions. And, you know, it's why I feel like, the, the, the interactions between coaches and players in practice are invaluable. They're very important, obviously. But there's always different aspects to learning that are, are needed as well. It's like your teacher has to be a good teacher, right? But 
you know, that, that tutor you have helps you a lot too. Right. Yeah. I mean, and so you, you, it's not that one's better than the other. They're both a key part of that piece. So like when you see a freshman, so, you know, so when Braylon James is out there this summer and he hits that sort of that summer wall, you've got Tobias there to say, Hey man, look, here's, you're, you're good. Right. I went through this last year or Dion yeah. or Lorenzo or whatever, having those veterans, like, here's what they're looking for. Here's what we need you to do here. You know, I've been there. I think those aspects are incredibly valuable. And that's also where a lot, a lot, even more of the, the team building comes where the freshmen are have now gone through the spring and they're now more embraced by the veteran teammates. And then, so that yeah. relationship strengthens. Yeah. And so there's a ton of, re- now you're, you're, you're eight months into the Matt Bayless strength program. If you're an early enrollee compared to three when spring ball starts. So there's just a host of reasons why you tend to see pretty good jumps from spring to fall for yeah. these guys. All right, let's get to the next question here from uh, – we're going to stick with John A1 and uh, do do one more related to the linebackers. At the starting linebackers in 23 are J.D. Bertrand, Nolan Ziegler, and Jalen Sneed. What would it mean for the defense? What does it say about Al Golden? It means the defense is much more athletic and faster. <laughs> yeah, and, and it means uh, Al Golden had a legit competition in yeah. the spring. Yeah. Right? That That's a great sign. Yeah. And Sean, Sean, you did not put enough emphasis on that. It means this this linebacking core is going to be fast. Yeah. yeah. If those if those two young bucks are starting at linebacker with JD, because now JD goes from being your most athletic linebacker to yes. your least athletic linebacker. Yes. Of the starting lineup. And if JD Bertrand's your number three athlete at linebacker, you're freaking athletic. You're fast. Yeah. You're. <laughs> Because I don't know if you guys I, – I know you guys have talked about it a little bit on your show from time to time, but that's something we constantly push back on. The notion that J.D. Bertrand is not a very good athlete is very misguided. Now, is he is he lack length? Yes. Does he lack ideal size? Yes. But J.D. Bertrand does not lack for athleticism at that position at no. all. At all. And I think people will see this. To go back to what you were discussing earlier about the recruiting and how it's changed. The 23 linebackers, the 22 linebackers, and the 23 linebackers are some of the best instinctive linebackers in the country. I'm talking about kids that see it and go. Even if they're wrong, they'll get coached up on the back end. But they see and they go. And if they mess up or they went to the the wrong fit, okay, we coach that up. But no more of this getting caught flat-footed, or taking a half step in the wrong direction and trying to, you know, struggle to scrape over the top. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I saw Marcus Freeman talk to the linebackers and tell him, you got to come on, you got to get over that. You got to scrape right. over the top and get over that. That should not be a problem, you know, if these three are the starting linebackers this year. They're so much longer. I mean, yeah. Jalen's not a lot taller than than Jack Kaiser. He's just a lot longer. Jalen's you know? just a yeah. I, 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 pray for, I pray for Jalen's health because he's like a heat-seeking missile. Like he, He's a kamikaze. He just goes, right? He's fast, and he plays fast, and I just <laughs> – he, he gives up his body. That's, that's basically what I'm saying. You love it, but I just want him to stay healthy because we need him on the field. You know, I just want him to stay healthy. He play, The kid plays hard, though, Beatrice. Yeah. 
Yeah. He plays hard. Just needs to be refined. Yeah. Right. I was that the third, maybe the that play on the drive where we were trying to figure out he rushed from the outside and we're trying to figure out why why is he still on the ground? What happened? Because it like it was almost like no yeah. one touched him. Like what right. happened? But he he plays with so much energy. Like that's the only thing I think that could really stop him from being a star. It's just hell. Yeah. Yep. Here's a question from Garland Doxy. With the clips Indy has released from practice, is it possible to have two wide receivers with 800 plus yards and five touchdowns? That's certainly, po- certainly possible. Yeah. I think 800 is a lot more uh, realistic than five than like a thousand. People say, "Oh, a thousand yards, 800." Yeah, it's certainly doable. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's certainly doable. There's certainly a, a possibility that can happen. I just I'll go back to what I've said before, Sean. I just wonder if the ball is going to get spread around too much. That's the only question that I have. Is the ball going to get spread around too much for that to happen? But it wouldn't shock me because I, I could see Dubai stepping into one of those roles. And then the question is, okay, does a second guy step into that kind of dude role? I think more likely is one guy has that 800 plus and then a bunch of other dudes are four or 500 plus is, is what I think is more likely because there's just so many guys that are going to get opportunities to make plays. Because let's say they put Braylon James in the game and he's just out there kind of part of the rotation and then he happens to take the top off the defense for a 60 yard touchdown. We just took two or three catches away from your, your teammates in, in those yeah. situations. So I could see a scenario where one guy's there and a couple other guys, a bunch of other guys are four or 500 plus uh, in, in that regard. I think one of the tight ends have a great opportunity to be the forgotten guy. Cause I think this is that season that Notre Dame finally makes teams come off of the tight end position because of the yeah. film they put up in September and then you might get a hold and stays that ends up with five touchdowns yeah. over the course of a season. So maybe not 800 yards, but definitely the production and the yeah. uh, touchdown. Right, we have another yeah. question from, um, let's see here. Let's go down to Andy Mack. With the struggles breaking into the offensive line, would it make any sense or is there any possibility of Rocco Spindler getting a look at defensive tackle? I've seen this a couple of times on the board. Yeah. I just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, if he's if he's too heavy footed to play defensive or offensive line, I don't see how he's going to be able to play offensive line. Yeah. Not in this particular defense, in my opinion. I just don't see it. I don't see it. Yeah, I agree. Seth Clark asks, "What are the chances of Notre Dame landing Bryce Young?" Pretty good. Pretty good. Very strong. <laughs> Very strong. I would call them the leader and have been, yeah. in my opinion, for a while. To be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Here, here's um, here's a question from Josh Miller. How often do you get that itch to coach again? I haven't coached in years, but for some reason I've been wanting to get back into it. Rarely, rarely. I don't really. <laughs> I, look, I loved parts of coaching. I loved yeah. the relationship with the players. I'll never forget the times when the players would come over to my house and my wife would make dinner for all the kids. And, you know, and then afterwards, you know, one of my top receivers is struggling with a thing with his girlfriend and he needs to talk to me about it or, you know, getting that two o'clock phone call from one of your players who's in a, you know, bad spot and, you know, teach them how to play the game and teach them how to be young men. And, you know, I, I miss all that stuff. And then and I miss game days a ton. I love game days. I love that battle of wits that's going on between the other coaches, but there's so much of coaching that I hated, especially at the level I coached. You know, we, we didn't get into planes and fly from place to place. We were driving everywhere we went, you know, and uh, just the politics of it and, and, um, 
just a lot of that stuff i just couldn't stand and i don't miss that at all and i love what i'm doing uh, honestly i think that's part of it too if i was just working uh, a nine to five and this is no disrespect to people that work a nine to five i mean y'all, y'all make the country work i don't work a nine to five i don't i don't drive a ups truck like my dad did growing up you know i'm not working construction like you know like my cousins are i'm not working at a prison like my uncle did i'm 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 doing something that's a blast that i love that it still has me affiliated with the game so a lot of the the stuff that that you may not be able to 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 get if you depending on what you're doing for a vocation i get to work i get paid basically essentially to break down film and to watch film and to study the game and get on a podcast and talk football you know like i had a guy that's uh inter- asked me to come on his podcast next week. They do national stuff. And he's like, yeah, we record at nights. Cause I have a regular job. And I'm like, that's cool. Respect that. But like, I'm so blessed to not have to do that. But the fact that this is what I do for a living, yeah. a lot of the stuff I would otherwise miss about the game. Mm-hmm. I don't miss because I'm here. I'm at a college football game every Saturday. Yeah. I'm paid to basically go to a college football game every Saturday. And so I just don't have those same attractions, those same pulls. Now I did early on, Sean, you know, this, that's why I got back into coaching back in 12 and 13, but I kind of got that beast out of my system. And I just haven't looked back ever since. And And I was reminded of all the reasons why I got out in the first place. And don't be fooled by this guy. He's talking about, he doesn't work a nine to five. He's right. He works a 10 to 2 (laughs) a.m. in the morning. Like no one works harder than this guy like he's a he's the only person that i know in my phone probably other than my parents that if i called at 2 a.m he probably would be up <laughs> be like what's yeah. up i'm just writing this article what's yeah. up buddy watching film yeah exactly <laughs> you know all right got one from irish mills five four zero where's the best place to sit in notre dame stadium where's the best place to tailgate and must do's on campus slash game day the best place to sit honestly is what's your preference i mean i'm a i'm a i like to sit high and see everything kind of guy other people like being down on the action some people like being in the corners because then they can kind of see everything from like a different angle they're never like directly there just depends on what your preference is i think one of the great things about notre dame stadium is unless you're right in the middle of the opponent's fan you know the opponent fans which would be uncomfortable there's not a bad seat to there's really not a bad seat in the house. And no. that's the great thing about bowls, bowl stadiums, and Notre Dame is still a bowl stadium on the inside. It doesn't look like a bowl anymore outside, but it's still a bowl on the inside. That curve means that there's not a lot of hard edges where you can't see stuff. There's no poles, there's no uh, there's nothing obstructing your view unless you happen to be one of those people that's like right behind the the flagpole, which yeah. you know, I don't I don't really even know what that would look like, but it just depends what your personal preference is. For me, I like being on the top row because there's no upper deck per se. I like being on the top row and somewhere between the 30s is where I like to sit because then I can just kind of look down and see everything. That's yeah. my, for me, that as far as place it, that's that's the best one. But I, I mean, it's, I like where I get to sit now. I like yeah. up in the press yeah. box. You know I, I, mean? I feel the same way. Like when I like to go to games in general, I usually get the 200 section so I can be elevated just a little bit and get a nice view of everything. But I must say the tickets I had for the spring game last year, you know, which is pretty much behind the Notre Dame bench, they were pretty phenomenal. I was like row 30 up right behind the Notre Dame bench. Those are pretty phenomenal tickets Mm because I was kind of like a, 
angle. It was it was it was pretty dope. And then you could hear the conversations going on on the sideline as well. Maybe not on a game, actual game day, because it's a little bit louder than on the spring game, but that was that was a pretty good experience. That was a pretty good experience. But I'm like you, I like to be elevated a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Best place to tailgate. It's just where you're, I mean, it's where your people are. I kind of like the joy slot and the stadium lot. Cause there's just so much tailgating going on there and you're right by the stadium, but there's, as long as you're on campus, it's, they're all pretty cool places. I, I think the Joyce and the, the, the straight, like down the line nature of the, of the parking lots to me is good is makes that pretty good. Uh, but then you don't have the corners where some of the other smaller parking lots, you can actually have, if you're lucky, you can get a corner and, and be set up there. Or on some grass. I think the must-dos for me, Sean, are is the player walk. It's a big one. You'll yeah. see the player walk. Yeah. You get to the bookstore, tour all the facilities, get over to the grotto. Um, I mean, just experience the campus. I mean, that's really the big thing for me. But whatever, wherever you are, make sure you're back in time to watch the player walk. I think that's a pretty cool deal. It really is a cool deal. Yeah, player walk. At other schools I've experienced and, and I've yet to experience it at Notre Dame, but I'm pretty sure it is just like anything else on that campus on game day, like mm-hmm. breath, breathtaking. Yeah, it is a gorge, truly a gorgeous campus, and and you'll mm-hmm. everyone will tell you that. Uh, yeah. t- people from other teams will tell you that. Yeah, that's it is a beautiful campus. There's no doubt about it. All right, here's an interesting one from uh, from Zach Martin, a non football question. In your lifetime, how many dogs have you had? What kind and their names? Me, Guinness, Cavalier, King Charles, and Conway, many Australian Shepherd. Boy, that is a that is a good question. I mean, so when I was born, the dog we had's name was Lido. He was a golden mm-hmm. retriever. That's I have very vague memories of riding on his back <laughs> and, and house we had on Grand Avenue. Then we had a uh, German Shepherd named uh, Achi. And then the next dog we had was a, another golden retriever named Bubbles. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister came up with that name. And then the next dog we had was a little, I forget what, what brand, breed he was, but uh, it, was, it was Buddy. It was our next one. And then uh, we had another golden named Daisy. It was my dad's favorite dog all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next dog that, that, that then after that, it was Ange and I. So we had Brady. Uh, so we got, we were pretty early in our marriage. We, uh, I said, we're not going to have a dog. We don't have time for a dog. You work. We're both in school full time. This is when we're living out in Denver. We're not going to go get a dog, but here's what we'll do is we'll go to the, you know, the, the shelter and we'll let you play with dogs and stuff like that. Get that out of your system. Dumbest thing I've ever done as a husband, like literally the dumbest thing I've ever done as a husband. So we get there and we're going through the thing and she's playing with different dogs and cats and all that kind of stuff. And we're, we're walk, we're walking out and I'm like, okay, we made it. We made it through and she didn't fall in love. And I, and I look over and I see this little rat terrier with like black and brown. You've seen pictures of Brady. Yeah. And he's just in the back <clears throat> scared. And him and Angela lock eyes and they just stay locked. And I'm like, oh, crap. So I say, hey, look, let's go home. We'll talk about it, pray about it. And then I'm thinking like she'll get over it. Right. And we're sitting there watching a movie that night. And I'm like, what you doing, babe? She's like, oh, no, I'm just working. So, okay, honey, like it's a little weird. You're just staring at your computer. And I walked over there. She was just staring at the picture of Brady on the on the website. His name was Max. Oh, wow. Was the name his name in the shelter? Yeah. And I was like, "We're getting the dog, aren't we?" She goes, "Can we please?" And so oh. we uh, we went and got Brady, and he was uh, the amazing dog. And then now we have Sadie and Rita, 
Yeah. Uh, Sadie is a Karen Terrier and Rita is a red bone coonhound. So those are the dogs that we've had, uh, like either with my parents or since Angela and I have been married, yeah. those are the dogs we've had. And we had, we've had, we got Rita the weekend that Notre Dame played Navy in 2016. I'll never forget that. Cause she was going to go volunteer at the, uh, one of the shelters. And I said to her very specifically, don't bring a dog home. <laughs> she didn't <laughs> listen to me and I'm glad she didn't listen to me. But it was just going to foster, you know, to be a foster yeah. parent. You know, yeah. And uh, but after about a month, I was like, yeah, we're not giving her up. And then Sadie, we got because she was we were still doing fostering for the this place. And they brought Sadie over. She had just had her leg amputated that day. Like we need to know. It's like a Friday. We can't leave her here in the in the place all weekend. We need someone to take care of her. Can you do it? And so they brought her to our house and it took me about a week. And I was like, call them and tell them we're not giving Sadie back. We're going to keep her it's failed foster. And tell them that we're not fostering anymore because we're going to end up with 13 dogs. Because <laughs> right. like once they're in my house for a week, it's over. That's I'm not, over. I'm not yeah. giving them up. So yeah. uh, I was like, we're not fostering anymore because we're going to we're gonna be that weird couple with like 13 dogs. And uh, so yeah, so those are our dogs, Sean. Those yeah. The ones we've had. I've had six. My um, first one was uh, my grandfather at his shop. His dogs that guarded the shop, they were German Shepherds. So we got a puppy from their litter. And uh, his name was Jr. because his dad's name was Dallas. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Get it? So of course, his father's name was Dallas. So we thought it would be cute. We call him Jr. And then Jr. actually uh, passed away because he got out, and then one of our neighbors had some pesticide in their garden, mm. and he ate something, and we found him, and that was tough. And after that, we really didn't want a dog, so my mother ended up getting a poodle. Her name was Princess, and we really took care of Princess. She she actually became our dog, even though she was my mom's dog. Uh, the only time my mom really paid attention to her is when she was watching TV with her, you know, watching her, her soap operas and stuff like that. Other than that, anytime we can, whenever we came home from school, the dog was with us in our room. Mm -hmm. So it was Princess, and then um, I got married. And my first gift, my my wife wanted a Pomeranian. So we bought a Pomeranian, and his name was Sugar. And Sugar was probably the smartest, most conniving dog I've ever had in my life. <laughs> like, he would, he would create arguments between me and my wife because he would find a way to get out of his cage. He found out how to flip the latch and get open. And she would always tell me, I told you to put him up last night. And I'm like, I did. Like, I, you know the commercial where they throw the little red flag? Like, okay, let's see. I wish I had that back in the day. Like, look. So one day I was at work, and she was with him, and she put him in a cage, and she just waited around the corner, and she heard him flipping the latch. And she walked around the corner and said, stop. And she found out, like, oh, I guess you were telling the truth. Like, I told yeah. you, this dog is a magician, yeah. man. <laughs> like, yeah. he just knows how to get yeah. out of the cage. And so yeah. – uh, we actually lost him on 9-11. Oh. Because wow. we, we, we usually let him out in the front, and I would walk outside and stand on the porch. But I remember letting him out, and he usually runs right to the left and then comes right back. And we were so fixated on what was going on mm. on TV that morning. It was about 15 minutes had passed, and we mm. both were like, yo, where – where is he at? We go outside and um, he was gone and someone returned him like 
four months later. We got him back. And by that time, my daughter had been born and he snapped at my daughter. Oh, yeah. And so my wife was like, he has to go. Right. Like, There's no way he's staying here. And then we ended up getting a Rottweiler, which is crazy uh, at that point in time. But he was like so protective of my daughter when she was an infant. Mm-hmm. You know, she <laughs> was so funny because my daughter maybe was like a year and I was training him and she would see me do something in training because I would tap him on his head if I was trying to get him not to do something. And so one day we're like, where's Ari? And we look up and she's downstairs in the basement. She has let Max out and she's uh, saying no Max, no Max and patting him on the head. She's emulating me. And he's just sitting there just like mm-hmm. looking at her, you know, but he was probably one of the best dogs because that was kind of like her infancy and who she grew up mm-hmm. with. And then recently, uh, I think that's dog number four or five. Recently, we had another dog that she wanted for her 16th birthday. And his name, she named him Blue mm-hmm. after the uh, the raptor in uh, Jurassic Park. Okay. Yeah. and then Not Blue, after the dude from... Uh... Uh, what was that movie called? Um, old School? Yeah. No, <laughs> not him. Boy. <laughs> no, not him. Not him. Yeah. So, and, and Blue was a Maltese. And uh, she gave Blue away when she went away to school. Okay. She gave him away to uh, her aunt. Okay. Who, who wanted a dog. So, but we, we can go get Blue anytime. Okay. You know, you know, still to this day, we'll go check on him. So, um, Sean, it's it's kind of interesting. Well, for real quick, I remember what Buddy was. He was a cocker spaniel. Mm-hmm. You talk about like devious dogs. That's one of the things I loved about Brady, the first dog Angie I had. Yeah, he was he was very when it came to food, very conniving. So, uh, favorite story is two favorite stories. One is I was not there for, but Angela and my grandmother went out for lunch, and my grandma mm-hmm. had put her food in the back seat. She, you know, in one of those plastic bins, and she had shut the bin and all that, and they came back out. And Brady was just sitting on the back seat, all good. They looked down at the thing. The thing was shut, right? It was closed. Yeah. She gets home, and Grandma sees a couple, or Angela sees a couple uh, pieces of fries on the side. She said, well, that's kind of weird. She opens it up. <laughs> it was all gone except for the burnt fries. He had opened that thing up, ate the burger, ate the fries except for the burnt ones, and then somehow shut the lid back on the thing. No way. And then there was another one. Angela and I were making a cross-country trip. And we had left the food in the front and he was in the back and I walk out and Brady's looking at me. He, he had gotten a, one of those um, uh, turnovers from Arby's Yeah, and he had the wrapping and he was backing yeah. up with it. Like he said, so he'd gotten into the front seat. Like he went on the, 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 the thing in between, yeah. he'd put his head in there, pulled it out. He was backing up into the back and he looks at me and he just drops it. And then keeps backing up. So <laughs> like, I ain't do nothing. Those small dogs, the small dogs are always the worst. They're <laughs> always the worst. I don't have it. I don't have it. It's oh, not on man. me. Yeah, it was. It was great. He was an awesome dog. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. an awesome dog. So another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah. All right, let's, let's get back to some football real quick. Um, here, here is one from, uh, let's go to Luke Breeding. Brian, is there any must-dos the Friday before the spring game or before the game? I don't know a lot of, uh, as much about what happens the night before a spring game or all day of a spring game, Sean. I don't know as much about what I they would do say, well, I don't know if I want to give this information away. Well, I'll put it like this. Myself and Malik stayed at a certain hotel, and there were a lot of the recruits and their parents that stayed at that hotel. Yeah, don't tell people that. So I won't say that. But, no, I'm just saying, for us, it was – it, it wasn't like we planned it. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, hey, what's up? What's up? And, of course, the crazy thing was a lot of the recruits knew Malik. You know, okay. so it just turned into – and then that night turned into, like, a three-hour conversation between myself, Malik, Eric Hansen, and uh, I forget the other gentleman that was like one of the former editors at the South Bend Tribune. And it was just like, man, they were sitting there drinking a Nora whiskey and testing out Malik's whiskey and sharing, you know, old Notre Dame stories. It was pretty, it was informational for me, who I thought I knew a lot about Notre Dame. And he, those guys pretty much laid it out. So that was pretty cool. It was almost like, uh, it felt like a conversation that, um, our guy should have been part of mm-hmm. uh, rest in peace to Lou. Lou, um, yeah, yeah. It's just those type of conversations where you know Notre Dame is not just about touchdowns, but just like you know, people, politics, information, interesting facts. It was it was a really great conversation to be part of. Let's get to some more questions here, Sean. We've got one here from uh, John A. One. How can an offense maintain intense physicality while attacking with 11 or 21 personnel versus 12 and 22 personnel? I think one of the most misguided takes that I see some people have, and I don't think John's necessarily going there because I think it's a valid question, is that the personnel you use defines, like, you can't be physical if you're not 12 personnel. It's nonsense. Like, to me, physicality is physicality, whether you're running out of 10 personnel or you're running out of 11 personnel or 22 personnel. Yeah. Uh, all that changes how many people you have in the box. If you have, if you have, if you're an eleven personnel, your five linemen, your tight yeah. end, and your running back should be physical. How do you maintain physicality no matter what you're doing? Yeah. How do you practice? How do you prepare? Do you teach your guys to be physical? I don't care if Harry Heastan was coaching a team that ran ten personnel or or zero personnel, meaning all wideouts. Yeah. You know what his offensive line is going to do? They're going to be physical. Yeah. It's about your approach. I think there are some schemes that make it a little harder to be really physical, uh, harder to be physical, but it's about teaching, Sean. It's about teaching, and it's about preparation, and it's about uh, accountability. What do you do? You demand that from your players. 
do you demand that from your receivers? Do you demand that from your demand that from your quarterback? Do you demand that from your linemen, your tight ends? If you're demanding it from them, I don't care what your personnel is. You're going to be physical. Yeah. Uh, I think that the, the there's a difference in being physical and being a smash mouth team. A smash mouth team is more defined by their personnel, Sean, because of the type of concepts that they like to run. But if you're an 11 personnel team, uh, put it like this: I thought the 2017 Notre Dame team was very physical. They ran a ton of eleven personnel that year, yeah. a ton of it, and I, so it's not it's not about the personnel in that regard. I would much rather be, uh, and maybe I have physicality mixed up as far as definition, but for me, I look at it from a boxing standpoint where you have a physical boxer that can only come forward, and just because you have a boxer that is a skilled boxer, that doesn't mean that he's not a physical boxer. That means he just has different ways to use his physicality in a boxing ring. You know, so I look at Notre Dame with 11, 12, 21 personnel. I thought they were pretty physical against North Carolina in 21 personnel. Even though they were utilizing the running backs in the passing game, I thought they were physical out of that, that formation. And I think, you know, people coming out of 11 personnel, especially if you have a tough-minded slot receiver, that doesn't mind cracking back and hitting that defensive end or hitting that linebacker, uh, man, you can definitely be physical and dictate. You know, I would much rather be a, a dictator on offense to defenses than to just line up and say, I'm a physical offense, come stop me. No, I, I can do whatever I want to do. And I'm dictating the, the situation mm-hmm. with personnel. And I think the perfect example of that, which I think, this year, specifically, especially because they have new quarterbacks, I think Georgia is going to suffer from that. I think Todd Munkin did a great job mm-hmm. of dictating from 12 personnel. Like, he could dictate whether they wanted to be physical and run the ball, and they could still be physical and, and pass the ball off play action and stretch in the field. So I think being able to dictate, which is something I hope Notre Dame gets the opportunity to do based upon what they come out of the spring with, more of an opportunity to dictate offensively than they previously had, which though we've had offenses that were just physical offenses that could just line up and be physical, but we couldn't necessarily dictate to the defense, you know, what we want them to do. It's something, Brian and I, I don't know, did you tell the story of like how we looked at each other? During the, the pro day? Yes, I did. About <laughs> please, please, please put eight in the box. Yes. Yes. <laughs> please. Yes. And we did it simultaneously. We just we looked at each other like, please, please let teams play us the same way. Please let teams play us the same way. Because mm-hmm. note now, this is a year where we get the opportunity. This should be an exciting year, Notre Dame fans. I'll be honest with you. I, I think. I don't know what Notre Dame fans are going to do if Notre Dame comes out and rattles off touchdowns four consecutive weeks on their first drive. Notre yeah. Dame fans might go, they might flip their lid, right? Yeah. But that's, for me, I think that's something that's going to be an addition. A team that starts fast. Marcus Freeman finally gets that part of his vision to be manifested this year, in my opinion. Because they're going to come out and they're going to dictate the teams. Like, you come out, you go 11 personnel, but you have Aldrich Estime in the backfield. Like, 
Are you going to ignore that? <laughs> and then what? Because Jane Thomas is a pretty good blocker in that slot. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty good physical guy in that slot. So really, you almost have a, two tight ends in certain situations on the field. So you can kind of quasi from twelve personnel to eleven personnel with the same personnel. That that's what I'm talking about. That's physical football when you can dictate to the defense what you want to do to them and then do it. And that's what I see Notre Dame being able to do. My takeaway from all of what Sean just said is Sean said he wants to be a dictator. That's 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 my takeaway from what Sean Come on, man. Come on, man. I'm just joking. I'm just playing along with my guy. Uh, that's a great answer, Sean. It's a great answer. Uh, Josh Miller uh, here with another question here, Sean. Is Notre Dame's defense going to be fluid week to week? And when a defense is so fluid, will you see more teams switch the defensive play calling to a safety? Uh, based upon what I've seen in practice, the two most communicative groups are the linebackers and the safeties. So the linebackers are talking, but the safeties are talking as well. And Al Golden mm-hmm. made mention that. Has of to that. Be, that has what to he, happen. When he your spoke safeties to the have to media. communicate, Sean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they have yeah. to. If your safeties aren't communicating, I mean, they're the only ones that can see everyone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, the linebackers can only see what's in front of them. Yeah. That's it. I mean, your safety. And that's what was so good about that 2018 defense, because Alohi and Jalen Elliott were so good about making sure everybody knew what they were doing yeah. in front of them. And, they're, you know, that oh. you have to have that. I think it was Prince Colley yeah. who spoke about being better at making checks. Mm-hmm. And communicating this year right. because he has to be able to go ahead and, and be that wealth of information for the younger linebackers. So, yeah. well, and the other thing too, Sean, is like there's this is what I, I've tried to tell people: the defense is going to get somewhat better this year simply because everyone's going to know what they're doing. Yeah. The question is: is will they be able to consistently stay good, or will it be right. a back and forth because the years you're young and you got a lot right. of new starters, they're not as good because they don't know the defense as well? You can't do that. Right. You can't be that guy. Right. And so, but it's going to be better than it was last year. It's just, is it going to be good enough? Yeah. That's the question. And yeah. that's why I always laugh because, oh, you know, compare Al Golden, Al, Gold, Al Golden to Brian McGordon. It's not, it's, there's no comparison. Al Golden's a good coach. The question is, is he a great coach? Right now, yeah. he hasn't proven he's a great coach. He's a good coach. Yeah. He did a good job this year. He just didn't do a great job. They needed great, and he didn't give them great. Yeah. And the other guy was terrible. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, there's just no comparison. It's no comparison. Here's one from Paolo Salazar, Sean. Hey, Paolo, who are your team captains for this season? I think we've kind of saw us. You get a sneak peek in warm-up drills uh, for Notre Dame, who the team captains or the candidates might be. Sure. Yeah, so uh, what, they had six last year? Is it six? Yeah. A couple of them are back. JD's going to yeah. be captain again. Right? Yeah. Uh, he's back. Jack Kaiser was, I believe, a captain last year. Was he? Was Jack yeah. Kaiser? Was Jack yeah. Kaiser captain last year? I, can't I think remember. so. Um, I think front Joe seven. Alt, yeah, up. Joe Walt will will have a shot to be one. Yeah. You know, maybe Sam Hartman, depending on how they handle that. I'm not quite sure how they're going to handle that one. Yeah, I imagine Zeke Carell might have a shot to be a captain this year. That's uh, a good call. Blake, I, you know, Blake might be in the conversation. Blake Fisher might yeah. be in the conversation uh, for that one. Uh, I think defensively, obviously, a uh, guy that I'm a guy that I'm very curious to see about his ability to, to develop to a captain is Cam Hart. I want to see if Cam kind of takes more of a leadership role yes. this year yeah. uh, for this team. Uh, def- defensive line wise, that's an interesting one 
Because a guy that I've noticed has taken a leadership role this offseason, but he may not even be a starter, is Nana. Like, yes. Nana's taken a lot of leadership yeah. stuff from the team this year. Uh, so a so he's a guy that I could see being yeah. part of that captain conversation call. as well. Not on yeah. Asafa Mensa. Yeah, I think Cam Hart, from what we saw last weekend on the lacrosse field, I think Cam might might definitely be a captain for this team. What do you think about, for me, I think he garners respect from the coaches and the players seem to love him. Um, What about Howard Cross? I could see that. Absolutely, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I think he I mean, garners does so everything you want him to do. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that. And he plays hard, yeah. does everything you need him to do. Shows up every day. I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that. Here is uh, from Chase Talks Sports. What is the best coaching staff in Indy history, and does the current one come near it? I mean, that's got to, you got to go back to 1988. 88, 89. Yeah. Barry Alvarez was still your D coordinator. Uh, I think it was it Jim Strong was the OC, although, although uh, Lou Holtz was really the the play caller for that team. You had uh, Joe Moore, Moore. the guy that the current award is named after. So, yeah, I'd say 88, 89, that coaching staff before Barry Alvarez left was really flipping good. Actually, matter of fact, hold on a second. I think I got the 88 yearbook right here. 88 and minus i would say this if they had one different coach just one that 14 staff and i'm only speaking from i've actually been convinced of this but i know malik talks about that 14 staff and just the guys that are around and where they have gone on in their careers yeah, it was like, yo, we had some pretty good guys around us, like even the GAs, the uh-huh. assistants. He was like, you know, it was it was it's a pretty good staff. Of course, Van Gorder, I mean, was, was there. But yes, Lou Holtz versus Brian Kelly, and then Van Gorder compared yeah. to anyone with a pulse. That, that counts. That counts yeah. anything. Yeah, all of it. And Scott yeah. Booker's your special teams coordinator. Pass. <laughs> Uh, but you still had Tony Alford was still your running back yeah. coach on that team. Yeah. So Mike Dembrock on that team, uh, yeah. Matt LaFleur, Matt LaFleur. Well, Matt LaFleur to me didn't do a great job that year. Now I know he did it. I know that the quarterbacks liked them, but he did nothing on the recruiting trail. And that's part of being a coach. Yeah. Here was the 1988 staff. You had Lou Holtz as the head coach. Now keep in mind, there's only eight full-time assistants back then. But you had Barry Alvarez was your defensive coordinator. John Palermo, longtime defensive line coach, the NFL wow. was your D line coach. George Stewart was your DN's coach. Chuck Heater was your defensive backs coach. Yeah. A uh, longtime coach. Yeah. Jim Strong was your running backs coach slash offensive coordinator. Pete Cordelli was your receivers coach. Tony Yelovich and Joe Moore were your two offensive line coaches. Line coaches. That was a heck of a coaching. And then you had Vinny Serrato as your recruiting coordinator. Yeah. That's tough. And you, you throw in Lou, Barry, and Vinny and right. Joe Moore. That's, that's, that's yeah. a Mount Rushmore of a coaching staff right there. Yeah. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. And I'm curious what the eight, what the difference was for the 89 team. I'm very curious what that what that one was. I'm see what 80, coaching changes, if there were any coaching changes on that team. Because Barry was back in 89. He was back in 89. He was okay. back in 89. Yep. I'm trying to see what the coaching staff was. Yeah, it was uh, pretty much the same. Jay Hayes replaced – was the DN's coach. Yeah, there was only one change. 
uh, and that was a guy named Jay Hayes took over as the DN's coach. So that was it. It was the only change. Thanks to Loose Emoji and uh, Tim Priester for those, because that's from the old the old BGI thing. So, yeah, that would be uh, that would be it. Eighty eight, eighty nine. Those yeah. two years. It's pretty flipping good. Pretty pretty flipping good. All right. Uh, here's one from Tom Spagnolo. Thank you, Tom. Brian Sean, if you had a say of who the starting linebackers were, what would it look like? Hmm. So somebody provided it earlier. Yeah. In one of the, it'd be Jalen Sneed and Nolan Ziegler for me, or I would have Jack Kaiser in Nolan and Nolan sort of rotating at will. Yeah. You know, maybe have Nolan. No, I'd almost want to consider having Nolan do what Tavon Coney did in 2017. Because remember, 2017, Tavon Coney led the team in tackles and tackles for loss, but he never he didn't start. He was that he would he would it, I think it was like Niles and was it Greer were the starters, but Tavon yeah. would play at both. Play both. And Drew Drew Trank was the rover that year. Mm-hmm. I could see something like that, some kind of thing like that. But that that would be that's where and I would then, be. Jack Kaiser's got to play somewhere. Jack I just gives don't, you Jack gives you versus Jack Jack to play yeah. rover will. Only position Mike in a pinch, yeah, because he can get you lined up, yeah, he can get you lined up, yeah, that'd be yeah. a thing. But if Nolan shows you that propensity to be able to go ahead and, and be the leader and get you lined up, then he he's that next Mike with the versatility to play Will, and then you can get Prince Collie in there with Kaiser's versatility if you want to move him out and give Jalen some rest at Rover. So they, they got talent and flexibility. Yeah. yeah there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Let's get to another one here. Uh, this is one uh, from Joe Medina. We were talking about well, Jabron Payne earlier. Brian, do you think Payne also flipped because the injury forced him to think of life outside the football as well as he felt Notre Dame gave him the best opportunity to prepare for that? I think so, and that's kind of part of the answer to the question that we were talking about earlier is if he doesn't get hurt, he's not at Notre Dame. He's at Michigan or Ohio State or Penn State or a place like that, mm-hmm. and he's he's going there. I mean, he was in Indiana, so Notre Dame could flip him from Indiana because their posi- his, the guy that recruited him there came to Notre Dame. Yeah. And so that's how you know that the position coach has faith in him and is going to give him a shot if, if he earns it and he's healthy because that's – Dylan McCullough brought him here. Yeah. And, and so – yeah, I think that's part of it. I, I absolutely, I think that's part of it. No, no question. I, I is it was it the end all be all? No, I don't think so. But you're he Joe's not saying that it was the end all be all. But was it a part of it? I think it was definitely a part of it. I, yeah. I think anytime you have a, a injuries like like and not that he had like devastating life altering injuries, just constantly banged up, constantly yeah. hurt. And I think his junior was the knee injury, and he was just banged up his whole senior year. So, yeah, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that, no doubt. Here's an interesting one from Chris Irish Young, Sean. Second live show in a week. What is a worst take? 247 guy Kelly versus Freeman recruiting take on three not having C.J. Carr in their top ten quarterbacks in 2012. Oh, the, the on three ranking is the worst. I, I mean, look, I definitely think that Marcus Freeman's recruiting better than Brian Kelly, and I've made my case to say so. But there are things you could point to and say, no, it's not really any better. And I wouldn't agree with it. I'd say you're wrong, and I'd have an, an argument against you. But there's no argument you can make that C.J. Carr is not a top 10 quarterback in this class. There's no argument you can make to me that he's not a top 25 overall player in this class, much less yeah. top 10 quarterback. Yeah. 
I mean, C.J. Carr, to me, is flat out one of the 25 best players in high school football in the 24 class. There's no debate for me. And so that's the thing for me is if you're going to have a take, Sean, that's debatable, even if your argument is weak, it's still valid. And so the comment that the guy from 247 made, I think, is an error. But it's at least debatable, right? I think he's misguided. I don't think he he thought through the answer. I don't think he did any research to come to the conclusion that he came to. I think he went with perception and feel and just kind of saying what everybody else says, right? Yeah. But it's at least a debatable answer. And, and you know, because somebody said, well, you know, you can't really give Freeman the 22 class because Kelly was here. For, okay, it's fair. I mean, we can have that conversation. I would I would have things to say I still think – Freeman is the primary reason that class was as good as it was. Especially defensively. Right. But the thing is, like, if if Cooper came on the show, it'd be a debate. We could debate it. Mm -hmm. If somebody from on three wanted to come on the show and make a case for why CJ Carr wasn't a top 10, I would just destroy them because it's a stupid argument. Yeah. Yeah. It's just there's no validity to it at all. And so that's a far worse take to me than what Cooper said about the Brian Kelly versus Marcus Freeman thing far worse take yeah. for me. And it's, and that's not debatable for me. That's a terrible take. Ha, CJ Carr's the number 200 player in the country. If there are 199 players better than CJ Carr, this is, there will never ever be another recruiting class as good as this one in the history of the, the earth. Like that is just an absurd take and an absolutely absurd take. So, I mean, why not just have, Trevor Lawrence is the number 50 player in the country coming out. I mean, it's it's like, it's like that absurd. It's just absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. Just, Oh God. So such a bad take.